Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Murch, Michael Ludwig, and Wyatt Tudor as we talk about Cyclone football, the NFL, the MLB postseason, and of course, the signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions. I only stumbled a little bit, didn't quite fall. You did a good job. We'll, nah. we'll, we'll, that's probably one of your better introductions. Solid but passing grade. B- before we jump right into our hard-hitting sports content, we have a very important question that we need to ask our listeners that they need to figure out for us. So this week, Wyatt and I tied in fantasy football. We're trying to figure out how we should break this tie, because ties are lame. I don't like ties. So we want to you to drop us your best ideas of how to break the tie between Wyatt and I in fantasy football. You can tweet at Wyatt or Kyle or find uh, 8311cast on Instagram uh, to drop us your ideas for how the tie should be broken between Wyatt and I in fantasy football. We've had a couple of votes for Fight to the Death, um, a vote for a live dance-off. So if you guys got any ideas of how we should do it, feel free. Get creative. First one to win Kyle a cupcake wins. I'm going to win. Yeah, do that. I'm going to win now. <laughs> I'll see Kyle next. So. Will you really? In December, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll see Kyle next. Ha, I'm going to win that one. We should do that one. I vote for that one. I'm ready too because then I'll just go on a road trip. Like, just go on a road okay. trip. <laughs> Gives me a good excuse to go see Kyle. That's fair. Not that I need an excuse to come see you, but you do live pretty far out of the I way. I need an excuse to come see you, Kyle. You went to the wrong school. <laughs> you see, instead of supporting an awful two-win football team, you could be supporting an 8-0 University of Minnesota Golden Gopher football except, team. Except you're missing the I do not support I support the five win Iowa State cycle. I really miss not recording in 8311 Studios because I could just mute Mike at this point. I know. And everything would be okay. Now we have to listen to all of this crap. The Minnesota Rouser, if you want to look But that you know, up. you know what we aren't quite impressed about? Just like that display of stuff that came out of Mike's mouth was... The guy that fell out of the stands at Jack Troy Stadium? I, well, I'm not there's impressed. that. I wonder how much alcohol he had consumed. That's the real question. And, and the production that was put on the field by the Iowa State Cyclones. Um... Coming back into the rankings didn't fare uh, so well for the Iowa State Cyclones. They were in last week at number 23, and they dropped out. uh, As the mullet and his squad came to uh, Ames, Iowa, and made the Cyclones look irregular. And not what we had uh, become accustomed to seeing, especially in the last three weeks. Um, Brock Purdy was obviously not his usual self. Uh, he ended up, or he missed a lot of throws during the game that 
he had made with ease in the past three weeks. He had been making really good reads, uh, but he had three interceptions on the game. The last one was arguably just in garbage time trying to get the team down the field, but still counts in the stat sheet. Um, but yeah, it was it was Purdy's most uncare or his biggest disappointment uh, this season. He was very disappointed in his efforts, as was the entire Cyclone fan base. But Matt Campbell is obviously still standing behind him because he believes that Brock Purdy is our quarterback, and I still believe it too. He just had a really bad game uh, this week. And he's, he's only a true sophomore. These things yeah. will happen. Like, he's, 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 he's still, still young. I still he's, believe that he is a very good quarterback. I think he'll rebound against Oklahoma, but I don't know. I th- yeah, you, you got to win the turnover margin. In the end, turning the ball over is unacceptable. Those are the details that Coach Campbell preaches, and those are the things we didn't do again this week. We turned the ball over too often. I don't think there's any reason to start panicking right now. No. Either. You know. No, I mean, this this team is still probably going to win seven or eight games. They're going to go to a bowl game. They'll go to a decent bowl game, probably Orlando, maybe Memphis, San Antonio, Arizona, one of those four. Um, right? And, I mean, it's still going to be a good season. It just – it's not going to be a magical season. It's not going to be a great season. It's still It's still a far cry from what we saw four years ago. Like, this <laughs> is enjoyable football still to watch. Yes. We are, and in two weeks, this Cyclone team is going out against OU with a chance to beat them. Four years ago, if that team rolled into Norman, Oklahoma against Jalen Hurts and Lincoln Riley and this team, we'd be talking about how many points are the Cyclones going to lose by. Well, that's what we were talking he, about two years ago when we won in Norman. Just saying. That is true. Just saying, Just saying so Matt Campbell is undefeated out. in Norman, Oklahoma. Yeah, he is. 1-0. But. Anyway, going back to the game on Saturday, the, as we talked about on last week's episode, the kicking game is still a major problem. There was another missed field goal uh, in yesterday uh, in Saturday's game that was pretty demoralizing. Uh, you can't. It was the first drive all, uh, all in conference play all year where the Cyclones got into the red zone and didn't score a touchdown, and their kicking game decided to uh, repay them by missing the field goal. But this kicking situation has to get figured out, whether it's going to be a Sally or the other guy. We just need to start making those field goals. You can't be leaving points on the board with missed field goals if you're going to win games. I mean, it's just as simple as that. You need points when you're down in the red zone. You can't be missing field goals. Yeah. It, at this point, we it seems like we can't leave anything up to our kicking unit. Um, at what's been talked about is Navarson, or however you pronounce his last name, is our uh, long-distance field goal kicker in excess of or any field goals over 39 yards. Although this season, I believe so far he has missed three of that sort, only one for four in his field goal attempts, also with a missed field or mixed extra point against Texas Tech. Um, Connor Asali has not been efficient uh, from inside of 40 yards at all. Um, something something has to be figured out. Um, the I I don't know how you change this other than just getting them out there and 
making them kick 100 field goals this week. But I mean, that that it doesn't help with kickers. Just ask Mike Zimmer. You can't fix kickers. Just doesn't happen. So we need to go out and find ourselves you a just, new kicker. Then you, you just you just hope. That's all you can do with kickers. You just hope. But one thing that we can fix is the big plays that the defense gave up this week. Yes. That was one thing that was very uncharacteristic of the Iowa State defense and something we've been accustomed to. Every once in a while in our bend-but-don't-break uh, um, playbook for defense, we give up maybe a 20-yard gain, maybe a 15-yard gain. But against Oklahoma State, there were three plays of 50 or more yards, uh, one 50-yard touchdown completion, a 64-yard run, um, and I believe the other one is a 74-yard uh, swing pass with missed tackles. Three of them. Wide array of, a wide array of missed tackles happened um, in this game, and it was just very uncharacteristic of the Cyclone defense. And, and um, the, the thing that frustrated me the most about how the defense played is that the, the offense from, from Oklahoma State wasn't that creative either. No. Pretty much every pass play they ran was a screen, a swing pass, or an eight-yard out. Like, that was mm-hmm. pretty much all the plays they run. I mean, they had one big pass down the middle to a tight end. But outside of that, every pass was to the outside. Every pass was to the exterior. But they were working all game. The defense didn't adjust. Mm-hmm. They were giving up those six, seven, eight-yard out routes every time if they wanted. That's not a way to... It's not a way to win football games. And since they were getting the ball out so quickly, there was virtually no pass rush this entire game. No pass rush opens up lanes for the running game. Chuba Hubbard was good on the ground, uh, good enough to keep the defense at bay in order to open up those swing passes. The Tom Brady offense is how I call it. It's just quick outs, ball out super quickly. Um, get it in the hands of your playmakers, and hopefully they make a play. And and they yeah. they did. We, we you gave up you gave up 13, 34 points despite holding them to two of twelve on third down and zero of one on fourth down. Oklahoma State only had fourteen first downs all game and scored thirty four points. I mean, when you only give up fourteen first downs and hold them to two of twelve on third down, that's a, that's a game you got to win. It was just the big plays that killed you. Well, I, mean, killed the, you. I mean, the and defense only gave up 27, only gave up 27 points because of the pick six. Yeah, so, big, big plays and turnovers is what killed us in the end. But big and plays and the, turnovers. The thing but, that was so upsetting was this was such a prime opportunity for the Cyclones to be in the driver's seat in the Big 12. Well, I mean, the they, still, they still control their own destiny. But with OU and Texas both going down, the chances for the Cyclones after this game, if they had won, to just continue and potentially have a very historic season for Iowa State standards would have been just like impressive. Or it, I I can't even describe it. It it, it was, was a, just it such was a, a prime letdown. opportunity. We yeah. blew that prime opportunity. Yes. Agreed. Yeah, this is a going into the week. I said it was a must win game if you wanted to compete in the Big 12 for the Big 12 title. And I mean, I guess it turned out not to be that way. So I guess there are two ways to think about it. Either you blew a prime opportunity or 
OU and Texas losing allowed you to make this mistake recoverable. So right, there are two ways you could look at this going forward, right? Either you blew an opportunity or you can be down or you can say, all right, other things in the Big 12 helped us out and we've still got a shot, right? If you look at it that way, then, I mean, you can still look at the positive and this game from OU really, after the loss, I was thinking now this game against OU is sort of, you know, meaningless. I mean, that's like, as far as, you know, Big 12 title is concerned. But then I went back and thought about it and I'm like, you know, we're pretty much in the exact same position, just with Oklahoma as the team we're trying to catch instead of Baylor. So, I mean, this game in Norman is just as big as it was before, just for different reasons. But now this game in Norman is a must win if you're going to go to the Big 12 championship game. You're not going to get there with three conference losses. You have to win out in conference if you want to go to this Big 12 title game. And so speaking about OU, uh, the game is in two weeks. It was announced earlier today. It is a 7 p.m. Central Time uh, kickoff on Fox. Um, and I did watch the entirety of the Oklahoma loss to K-State. Um, so I kind of came up with my own script of how uh, the Cyclones can beat OU. Um, this obviously isn't foolproof. I'm not a coach. But from what I saw and what K-State ran with Chris Kleinman um, as their head coach, uh, I saw a lot of these things that were very, very effective. So run, run the ball outside the tackles. This is going to start with uh, read option plays. Brees Hall um, being able to get outside the tackles with his speed is going to be key. Um, and then Brock Purdy being a willing and able runner in this game, I believe, is also going to help. Um, uh, just a few stats from the K-State game. Their, their lead back ran for over 105 yards on the ground. Uh, their quarterback ran for 40 more on the ground. So as long as we can have Purdy and Brees Hall being able to um, create plays, especially running outside of the tackles. That is where Oklahoma is weakest. Swing passes to the outside are going to be big. So swing passes out to Tariq Milton and Deshante Jones, uh, getting our two speedy playmakers out in space is really going to open up the big time play action passes down the field. Play action was huge for K-State, um, forcing those linebackers to come up, and then those play-action passes are going to open up for uh, Deshante Jones and Charlie Kohler slash Chase Allen down the middle of the field, uh, which will help to keep the Oklahoma Sooners' offense off the field, which is my last point. Keep the offense off the field. Keep Jalen Hurts cold uh, sitting on the bench. You can exploit their very weak defense. Uh, last year, they didn't even crack the top 100 in total defense. Uh, the Oklahoma Sooners, they're on pace for the same exact thing this year. Their defense is bad. They're banged up at cornerback. Um, their starting cornerback, uh, Motley, might be uh, potentially suspended uh, either by the Big 12 or by Oklahoma. It's still uh, The verdict is still out for him kicking a K-State player uh, during the game. Not a great look for him, but we'll see. So corners might be a little depleted for Oklahoma. But on the other side, I mentioned it earlier, uh, Brees Hall just continues to do great things for the Cyclone offense, um, had another great game. Uh, and this is what like Mike and I had, had just talked about being surprising with how many times Brock Purdy threw the football with how good Brees Hall has established himself. 76 yard, yards rushing on the ground, 118 total scrimmage yards and two touchdowns again, which gives him seven total touchdowns in just three weeks. 
Um, so Brees Hall continues to play well um, and play just be a ready uh, running back in the Big 12 Conference as a true freshman. Yeah, with how well Brees Hall has played, I'm so surprised that they had Brock Purdy throw the ball 62 times. I mean, as good as a quarterback 68. he is, 62, I'm looking at it right now. Oh, 62? 62 times, yeah. As, as good as he is, he's still not he's still not good enough to, to throw the ball that many times. There's very few quarterbacks that can throw the ball that many times and be successful. The running game is going to have to – is going to have to work to uh, to this team to be successful, and you just got to hand the ball off to Holmore, Holmore while he's playing well like he was. I mean, 18 carries for 76 yards and two touchdowns is a good day. Feed him the ball some more. Yep, I agree. But I uh, think there'll be, you'll see a lot more run plays. Another another note on uh, Brock Purdy: he is now third in all of college football in total passing yards on the year behind uh, Washington State's quarterback Aaron Gordon and uh, Joe Burrow out of LSU. So, Brock Purdy putting up some big stats, just needs Mm -hmm. to limit the turnovers. So, from one big game for the Cyclones to a big game between the Chiefs and the Packers on Sunday night football, um, going into this game, uh, as a Chiefs fan, I wasn't really expecting a whole lot uh, Matt Moore is obviously starting uh, the backup quarterback with Pat Mahomes being out still, but he was serviceable as a backup. The first two drives were absolutely terrible. Uh, the Green Bay Packers went up early 14 to nothing, uh, but the Chiefs came back and took a 17 to 14 lead into halftime. Um, Matt Moore's final stat line was 24 of 36 for 267 yards passing as well as two touchdowns. So a good game for him um, after he was or coming into this game as a starter. He was previously 0-9 while trailing 14 to nothing in a game, but was able to lead a comeback um, in the game. He was sacked fewer times than Aaron Rodgers, which is a huge plus with uh, the Chiefs having their both their starting left tackle and left guard out as well. And then th- during the game, we also lost our right guard. Uh, so big um, big plays from the offensive line, but it really all came down to one turning point uh, that really helped the Packers win in this game. Uh, late in the third quarter, LaShawn McCoy fumbled uh, in a 17-17 to um, tie game, gave the Packers and Aaron Rodgers a very short field in which to end the drive. Uh, the Chiefs were about two inches away from sacking uh, Green Bay and holding them to a field goal, which would have been huge, except... Aaron Rodgers falling to the ground somehow managed to drop an absolute perfect pass that only he could do. He was throwing the, the ball away. He got lucky. That he was not trying into to the back pass into the back corner throw. of the end zone. I thought it was a throwaway. Everybody throw. thought it was a throwaway, but for some reason Jamal Williams was able to catch it. Packers went up twenty-four to seventeen, and it it really the Chiefs couldn't come back after that. Uh, The Chiefs ended up tying it 24-24, but at that time, Aaron Rodgers got the ball back. They went down and scored. Um, The Chiefs then were able to get the ball back and not do anything on offense. A lot of people are questioning questioning, uh, Andy Reid's play call of punting on fourth and, I believe, uh, 
six or something. Um, potentially that being the last time we would get the ball. Um, we did, and we didn't get the ball back again. Uh, so that was that was it. That was all she wrote. But not a not a whole lot more that we could ask out of Matt Moore. Played an amazing game. Um, the one thing out of this game, the defense is actually getting better. We sacked Aaron Rodgers four times in the game. Um, the only problem, only glaring problem now is we need a linebacker who can actually cover running backs. That is the thing that Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay exploited all night. Uh, wheel routes out of the backfield, double moves, um, getting a linebacker on a running back who cannot cover him at all. So another loss for the Chiefs, although they still are uh, two games ahead in the division. So because that division is awful. Divis- division is absolutely awful. So the Chiefs are going nowhere. Playoff hopes are still very, very much intact. Um, no reason to press the panic button. The defense is getting better. We'll see if they do get an acquisition uh, before the Tuesday deadline. Um, another team that is probably about ready to start pressing the panic button are the Chicago Bears. Uh, and they are, their they fans are, still, are definitely pressing the panic button. They are still bad. They booed the Bears off the field going into halftime. They booed at the end of the game when they can't kick a field goal to win the game. Um, it's just not a good situation in Chicago. They're in last place in the uh, NFC North now. They're half a game behind the Lions. So they're, they're just Mitch Trubisky has not been great, though they have said that uh, – Mitch Trubisky will be the starting quarterback here uh, for their next game. So they're not benching Mitch Trubisky. The uh, The team is still going to go out and rely on him. But kicking, I mean, they're wasting a phenomenal defense, right? I mean, th- that Bears defense is really, really good. And they're absolutely wasting it with the way that, uh, with the way that they're playing, right? They just can't keep playing like that. I mean, Khalil Mack, you've got Khalil Mack and you're not even going to make the playoffs. Their playoff chances, according to 538, are down to 8%. They're, they're pretty much toast. You can't waste that defense. Defenses get old quick. Got to get them where you can. But speaking of really good defenses, the defense that looks really, really good, the New Orleans Saints. Actually, there are a lot of de- three, the three defenses that look really, really good are the New Orleans Saints, the New England Patriots, and the San Francisco 49ers are probably, without a doubt, the three best defenses uh, in the NFL. And the Saints managed to win all of their games without Drew Brees, which, you know, is a heck of an accomplishment. And now he uh, looked very good against the Cardinals uh, in returning from his thumb surgery earlier in the year. The Saints probably have to be uh, one of the favorites here in the uh, in the uh, NFC. And, I mean, especially because they're going to win that division handily since the Panthers. I mean, there are two games clear of the Panthers now halfway through the season. I don't think the Panthers are going to catch I mean, them. So. I'd, I'd argue that the Saints are the heavy favorite in the NFC, mainly because the 49ers are playing in a tough, much, much tougher division. Yes, I agree. There are there are uh, three teams above 500 in that NFC West, and there are two teams above 500. There are three teams – in the NFC West, better than the second team in the NFC South. So, yeah. much tougher division. But Saints looking very good. 
Um, we talked about those 49ers and Patriots who are both looking good and, like I said, best defenses in the league. And as you always hear, defense wins championships. Defense and quarterbacks who don't make mistakes are what wins championships. And, and, I mean, speaking of the 49ers, that second-best team in the NFC South, the Carolina Panthers, got obliterated by the 49ers and yes, they did. completely embarrassed them. Joey Bosa is a freak. Had three sacks and an interception, an interception after he was chop blocked, got up and was still able to intercept the ball um, and returned it some 40 yards down the field. Uh, the 49ers looked really, really impressive against the Carolina Panthers. So the second best in, the second best team in the NFC South is absolutely no challenge to the New Orleans Saints going forward. So. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty much going to be your NFC in the playoffs is the New Orleans Saints and the NFC West. I mean, yeah, the pro- well, I don't know. Well, I mean, the, pack, the Packers Easter are seven Packers and one. The Vikings. the Vikings are six and two. I mean, those teams that are going to be in the conversation too, right? My guess, it's really hard in the NFL for three teams from the same division to make the playoffs, right? Because between those three teams, they have six games against each other, right? Mm-hmm. It's really hard for three teams in the same division to all make the playoffs. So, so I don't think all I, mean, I don't think both wild cards are coming out of that division, despite how good the the Niners, Seahawks, and Rams look. I don't think they can get all no. three spots. You're gonna you're gonna get one wild card from the north and one wild card from the west. That's what it looks like, yes. But we'll see. There's big games that I mean, the Packers still play the Niners, the Vikings still play the uh, Seahawks, which are gonna be big games in determining uh determining uh, who sort of sits out in those wild cards and on top of those divisions. But, I agree. But anyway, but, with there's not a lot of question marks in, is the MLB postseason. There's, oh, not at all. There are one or two games left, depending on how game six goes on Tuesday. Uh, it really has been a tale of two cities. The Nationals were in the driver's seat after taking two straight games in Houston. And then, of course, Houston answers back by winning all three games in Washington. So, Houston has a 3-2 lead going back into Game 6, which will be on Tuesday night in Houston. Um, it'll be Justin Verlander versus Steven Strasburg. But it's just been an insane World Series. Like, I figured that Astros are pretty much... You don't lose two games at home and come back to, and come back to win the World Series. That's insane. That would be a heck of a comeback from the Astros, which great comebacks lead to the question of big chokes. Would this be one of the biggest World Series chokes in history if the uh, if the uh, Nationals blow this and the Astros win it? Uh, if the Astros if the Astros win in seven, I don't think so. I think you chalk that up as a as a slugfest for both both teams. Just a great playoff um, World Series game. But if the Astros do indeed win it in Game 6, I think it has to go down as one of them. Because you, this vaunted, quote-unquote vaunted, uh, one of the best World Series uh, rotations in MLB history, you beat them soundly and handily in games one and two you make Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander look bad while Max Scherzer 
and uh, Steven Strasburg go out and uh, spin gems. You you were in the driver's seat, but I mean now you have to take into account that Max Scherzer might not play for the rest of the series. Yeah, would that have a, would that have affected Game Five differently? Oh Who yes, knows? of course. I mean, it's I mean, the yes, it's it running running the best pit, probably the best pitcher in ba- one of one of if not the best pitchers in baseball in Max Scherzer versus Three, versus probably. your fifth versus your fifth starter, right? That's that's basically what it was, right? Those are the decisions you had to make, right? Max Scherzer would have made that game um, completely different. According to 538, he's the third best starter in baseball, by the way. But anyway, continue. I mean, but it's sad. Like, it's sad for him and the Nationals. He just woke up and with debilitating back spasms, apparently his wife had to help him actually put a shirt on in the morning because and he was obviously in pain in his press conference but you have to take that into account this series could be completely different had he played i mean garrett cole still garrett cole looked like the garrett cole that we had seen for since when like june He's pretty much pretty much unhittable except for Juan Soto being able to actually hit anything off of him. Mm-hmm. He's uh, listed as the best pitcher in baseball, by the way, according yeah. to 538. Right now. Anyway. Who's the second best? Is that Justin Verlander? DeGrom. Oh, DeGrom. Okay. Verlander's so, fourth. So it just – I don't know. I don't know if it's the biggest choke in World Series history. I mean, it can't be the There's biggest. There's so many but, factors. Yeah. If you're the Nationals, you're going to call it the biggest choke in World Series history. I mean, just the fact that the national—I mean, it's the biggest Nationals choke in World Series history because it's like the yeah. only World Series appearance. Yeah. But, but it—I mean, it's been a great series. It has been a really fun. I'm excited for Game Six. I mean, Verlander Strasburg—it's a rematch of the pitching matchup from Game Two that uh, that uh, the uh, Nationals won out in Houston. I don't know, but. I don't know, but if this game, if this series goes seven, I don't see any way that Max Scherzer is not making that start in game seven. Like, he's going to go out there. You have to send him out there and try to start game seven if it gets there, I don't, don't you? I don't, know, I don't know if he'll start. My guess is he would, they, would do, they would do an opener-type scenario, throw somebody out for the first few, and then let him go through the second half of the Astros order. Yeah, try to try to get in his first first like pitch, first innings, get him in that opener type situation and see see if he's able to do it. You don't want him going out there and not not being in his best form for Springer, Altuve, Brantley, Bregman. True. You don't you don't want to pitch him against those four to start the game if he is at all not 90 at least 90 percent because max scherzer at 90 percent is still better than 90 percent of pitchers in major league baseball i mean if you don't and if you don't throw scherzer in that game who do you have to throw we, what, you probably throw sanchez he's probably a yeah, starter probably. i mean i don't want i don't i don't want Aaron's. i mean he's had a decent year I don't, want Aaron, I don't want yeah i don't want anibal sanchez starting game seven of the world series right you gotta try scherzer if he's healthy but We'll see. You can't worry about that because you got to get through Game Six. 
Verlander should be a pitcher's duel between Verlander and Strasburg. Should be a really great game. I'm excited to see how it goes. Maybe they'll give him the same exact pain meds that they gave Aaron Rodgers. The ones that uh, in week one last year when he came back and beat the Bears and was yeah. uh, and had a very interesting post game interview. Yeah. For lack of a better phrase. Mm-hmm. He had a post game interview. High, pretty much. Yeah, very much, very much the case. Yeah. Very much the case. Anyway, do you have anything else you want to talk about with baseball? Or can we move on to my favorite segment? We'll move on to your favorite segment. Okay, we're going to move on to my favorite segment. This segment, of course, Mike's Stupid Rules. Today, we're going to do an information on Mike's Stupid Rules that will help all of you understand the rules of college football better. And help the Big 12 refs understand the rules of college football better. Because <laughs> uh, it was now, I guess it would be a, uh, a week ago, uh, between in KU and Texas, the Big 12 has publicly admitted to their second instance of their officials ch- completely and directly changing the outcome of the game. The first one we talked about uh, in a previous week's episode with the uh, – with the fumble slash illegal snap between Baylor and Texas Tech. Yeah, Baylor and Texas yep. Tech, where they ruled it an illegal snap, but it really should have been a fumble that Texas Tech recovered and Texas Tech would have won the game, but Baylor won it. That was the first one. The second one has to do with the clock management at the end of the KU Texas game. So here's the rule. So the rule in college is that when on a first down, right, the clock stops. This is different than in the NFL, right? But in college, a clock stops on the first down until the official until the ball is reset and then the the referee in the white hat will signal for the clock to start again. This is supposed to happen as soon as the um as the ball is set and uh play is ready to continue. What happened? It was with I think it was with 34 maybe 36 seconds left um in the KU Oklahoma or KU Texas game. Um, Texas was driving. Uh, Sam Ellinger just ran for eight yards on third and six to pick up a first down, and the clock stopped just as it was supposed to. After the ball was set, the clock did not resume, and about 10 seconds ticked off, or 10 seconds happened between when the ball should have been, uh, with, between when the ball was set and when the ball was snapped, which is when they actually started the clock wrongly. And because of this, Right. And so remember, Texas ran two plays with less than 10 seconds left on the clock. Right. Uh, they ran the play, the uh, the short out that uh, moved them closer to field goal range was snapped with eight seconds left. And then the field goal was snapped with four seconds left. So two plays that really shouldn't have happened. It would have been a much longer field goal for Texas to have kicked um, had the clock started. So there you go. There's you on the first down clock stops until the ball is reset. The referee will signal the clock to run, and it will run. It is does not wait until the snap to uh, run. And this is the case no matter how much time is left. Whereas, you know, if you go out of bounds in certain situations, the clock will, you know, sometimes stop all the time, sometimes, you know, only stop until the ball is reset, things like that. On a first down, it's always just until the ball is reset is when the clock will stop in college football on a first down. It's Makes amazing sense. to me. You, got, you guys ready to be? How, uh, how, I mean, that happens all the time during the game. You know, the clock stops yep. and starts on a first down. That's yep. nothing crazy. How do you just happen to forget to do that when it is, like, 
like it changes the outcome of the game. I just don't get it. I can't even put it into words how amazed I am that that was botched. Yeah, that's it's a simple thing. It's one thing if you botch a it's routine thing. Call, but that that that's routine. Yep. Like, I I could have spotted that that was a mistake by the officials. But well, I'm glad that we we know better now. Yes, we we Honestly, should be the Big Twelve like the, officiating crew. I feel like the three of us could do better than. I mean, them. we we need more than three. Three officials isn't enough. We need more. But honestly, three of us could probably if, do if, better than. If us. you want to join our officiating crew, let us know. Second thing to uh to uh drop us uh drop us a line if you want to uh be part of our officiating crew. We'll submit an application to the Big Twelve. We could be a basketball officiating crew, right? That's three. We could. We could yeah, we could. Maybe we'll, I'll look into that for us, being All a basketball right. officiating Let's crew. Let's do it. We'll uh, Give pick you some youth games, you know, get the rest knocked off, mm-hmm. and then jump right into uh, right into D1. Yeah, sounds good to me. Also, college basketball season starts here. Exhibition games possibly next week even. Soon. Or I'm actually excited. today. Minnesota played their first exhibition basketball game today, I think. Like right now, as we're recording this podcast, I so, believe I believe basketball. Iowa State plays its season opener the same exact day as we play Oklahoma in football in two weeks. That's a late and, season opener. Yeah, Minnesota opens this season a week from tomorrow. I mean, that might not—that's probably not actually the season opener, but at least yeah. they Oregon State that day and the the first games at three thirty. So Cyclone fans do get to watch basketball and then football. That's good. The uh, the yeah. first Iowa State basketball game is the 5th of November. Tuesday. Tuesday next Tuesday. That's when it's Minnesota's first regular game is, too. They, they won their exhibition today, 73-48, to 48 against Southwest Minnesota State. Very good. Proud of them. So next week, since we won't have a, uh, a Cyclone football game to review – we will do a Cyclone basketball preview for you so you can get your Cyclone fix even without a Cyclone football game. So it's going to be a that. good time. I am already looking, already looking forward to it. I am well, just an talking, excuse Mike. for me to talk about Tyrese for an extended period of time. <laughs> yeah, you, you like him. like him a little bit. Anyway, I guess I get to keep going because it's now time for our accountability session. Um, we had two predictions come off the board this week. One of them was actually one that we missed last week because I didn't look close enough. Um, the first one was one that did just come off the board this week, and that was a prediction from Kyle, predicted that Iowa State would beat Oklahoma State for homecoming and then go down to Norman and beat them as well. That didn't happen because we didn't do the first one. You can't do both if you don't do the first one. It's like in computer programming, if you write an and statement – and the program sees that the first one of the and statement is false, it doesn't even evaluate the second one to save time. So we don't even have to evaluate the OU game. We can save time and just give Kyle a nah. That was also a really lame explanation, not going to lie. That was a fantastic explanation. <laughs> you loved that I hated it. I'm with Wyatt on this one. You loved that explanation, Wyatt. Anyway, carrot two. Um, The other prediction we had come off the board was that at least one safety would happen in the next two weeks. That did happen. There was at least one safety. There was there was two last week and one this week. So lots of safeties, man. For that, for that, what gets a ding 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 ding. 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 
That is all that we have in our accountability session. So, Kyle, do you want to lead us off with our predictions? As always, I I would love to. So, talking about Brees Hall, I'm I'm hopping on the Brees Hall train here, and I'm going to ride with him and hope that he gets at least 150 scrimmage yards versus OU and Texas. You're going to ride with him, like jump on his back while he's going through the field? He, he won't get 150 scrimmage yards in both of those games uh, if you're riding on I his will, back. I won't, I won't <laughs> ride with him, but I will be there supporting him and cheering him on. So if, if, so if Tom Brady were to ride on his running back's back, does that mean <laughs> that would be a good strategy because the refs would throw a roughing the passer flag every Probably. time the running back got tackled? I mean, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be the passer as soon as they passed the line of scrimmage, right? Like he couldn't, yeah, maybe. he couldn't really be considered for that. I mean, I mean well, at this Tom point, Brady, though, at so. this point, when any defensive player gets in the backfield of either Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> it's trespassing, so they throw a penalty flag. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you cannot enter the pocket. Not allowed. Anyway, we should uh, evaluate this prediction. 150 scrimmage yards versus OU and Texas. Let's see. So he had. Slightly under that against Oklahoma State, if I see correctly. 118. 176 plus 42. Yeah. 118. Oh, so that earlier in the podcast, if you were Yeah, listening. I know. I was listening. Like a double. I'm thinking triple. I mean, if he had... Yeah. Comparatively. Yeah, but these teams are better than OSU. That, that is also true. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll defer to but Fine, I'll defer. I don't, uh, I'm not. Triple. That's fine with me. We'll give what do you got, Mike? My prediction is the NBA is underway. Excuse me. And the Timberwolves. Thank you. And the Timberwolves are off to a 3-0 start, the only 3-0 team in the NBA entering play on Monday. I'm don't drink the Kool-Aid. That the Minnesota Timberwolves... Will make the playoffs. I mean, I it, it's it. it's anybody's game. Wait, L- literally. Hold up. The Timberwolves game. are in the West, right? Timberwolves are in the West. Triple. I I don't know. It's such a toss up. Have like everybody's bad. The teams that are bad are good. I mean, I mean think look think at, about think about who you have in the West. You got the yeah. Rockets. You got yep. the Clippers. Yep. You got the Lakers. The Nuggets, Jazz, the Blazers. That is true. They're all teams that are in the West. You see the Nuggets. Nuggets. The Nuggets. Those are really good teams. The Spurs. I said the Spurs. They're bad. I don't know why I mentioned those. I don't really have any. I don't have any concrete evidence to support anything besides a triple. I guess. I guess. I'll take a triple. Whatever. It's cool. What do you got for us, Wyatt? So I have a. A less uh, quantitative thing, I guess. I'm going to say that the Big 12 refs will have at least one more documented case of directly screwing over a team this year. I think they've had three. So give me, give me a second. So I think my three examples here of the three documented cases of the Big 12 refs screwing over a team is the wrong call for the illegal snap during the Texas Tech and Baylor game, yeah. the awful clock management during the Texas and Kansas game, yeah, and the the whole illegal touch issue with Oklahoma's onside kick. Right call. It that might have been, right 
I it was still a huge blunder. I was such a blunder that was poorly managed. I was watching it on the way that it was handled. I was watching it live. It was completely the right call. Going over a team if you make the right call. I. I don't know. I feel like the way it was handled kind of, no. Nope. But you got to make the right okay, anyway. Okay, okay. That's not it what we're matter. arguing about. That's not, that's, that doesn't even matter. There's at least two documented cases. Yes. Then. So, and you're talking about a case just like that where you can say it directly affected the outcome of the game? Yes. And what do you mean by documented? Is it the Big 12 comes out and says they screwed up like in those first two cases or that just for the average observer, it's obvious that they screwed up? It has to be blatantly obvious. So okay. the Big 12 the big, admits. If they the admit, 12, then it is blatant, blatantly do they obvious. Have to, do they have to admit it for this? Um, if it's blatantly true. obvious, they do not have to admit it. No. Okay. Okay. Like that, um, that we can all three come to an agreement that, yes, they, they done goofed. So, yes, the first two, but not the third one, since one of us said they goofed and the other two didn't. Yes. Okay. Um, what do you think? Double? Triple? Double. Kyle? Double. Very qualitative. Yeah. It's hard to do these qualitative ones, so double seems fine with me. Does this count Big 12 refs in a bowl game that doesn't involve Big 12 teams? Yeah, of course it does. Okay. There's still Sounds Big 12 refs. Big 12 refs. Sounds good. <laughs> Duly noted. Um, right, do we have a prediction from Josh? Oh, I was, was asking you. You're, you're supposed to ask me if I have a prediction. Yeah. But this time I Kyle got a prediction, prediction from Josh yeah. today. All right. So... The outcome of the ISU versus OU game and the ISU versus Texas game will be decided by seven or fewer points. Combined or both of them uh, will be both decided games. by seven or fewer? Both games okay. will be decided by seven or fewer points. Um, I mean, do you really see any of these teams stopping ISU or the other way around? Because I don't. I mean, I see it being a shootout for both teams, for both games. I see I see us having a very, very similar game against Texas to what KU had. Shootout. And I think I think Oklahoma's gonna score and we're gonna have to score. Oklahoma's gonna score. Oklahoma's yeah. offense was not the reason why they lost to K State. No. Their defense was. Actually their offense was part of the reason with the trick play that they had. At the end of the first half, where he threw it directly to the K State defender. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that wasn't good, but <laughs> I liked it. Uh, I love trick plays. Um, I'm, I'm, gonna I'm say, sitting heavy between a double and a triple right now, which is very generic. I'm leading towards the know what to go with. I'm also leading towards the triple with that. So, so we'll go with really triple. What I think. Perfect. Yeah, we'll go with triple. That's fine. We could have had four triples tonight, except why it. Yep. Yep, I'm lame and I couldn't come up with anything. So <laughs> that's what you get. Now, speaking of what you get, you just got this episode into your ears. Thank you so much for listening to the 8311Cast episode 53 because we just finished the Write That Down Prediction segment, which means that we're also at the end of this episode. I forgot to say that first. And. Thanks again for listening for the second time. Appreciate you stopping by. Make sure you swing by again next week for episode 54, because that is the next episode in the sequence of numbers that we release episodes in. Check us out. Check us out on Instagram at 8311cast. 
also on our contact page, 8311cast.fireside.fm slash contact. Signing off for the 8311cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Lebrich, and Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.